This episode of InsureTech Insider is proudly brought to you by Deloitte. They are focused on uniting the bright ideas from InsureTech with large-scale traditional carriers and everything in between, bringing their wealth of industry experience and technology know-how into the mix and helping to drive the pace of change and transform insurance as we know it. Welcome to InsureTech Insider, coming to you live from the 11FS offices in Devonshire Square. I'm Sarah Kachansky from 11FS, and I'm joined by my co-host today, Nigel Walsh. How are you, Nigel? Eager, excited. You are. You're very keen to get started today. <laughs> so that's because today's show is a very special one. It's something of an Anthemist takeover. We're joined by some very special guests, all from Anthemist, to dig into the world of InsureTech investments. So we have, making her return appearance, Ruth Foxblader. MD of Investments at Anthemis. How are you today, Ruth? Great. How are you? I am. I am good. Um, we should say we're recording at the end of the end of a very long day for most people. So the energy in the room. Let's try and keep it up. We've, we've still got it. Um, making his debut, Matt Jones, Principal for Investments Anthemis. I'm going to repeat myself a lot. I think I'll do title today. <laughs> How are you doing, Matt? Very well, thank you. Very eager as well. And making her debut on this podcast, but not her debut on an 11FS podcast, we have Sophie Winwood, who is an associate at Anthemis. How are you today, Sophie? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I don't know if I need to get on like blockchain side now and get the, the triple, you know, do yeah, I you, get like a gold star for that or something? You want, you want the hat trick and then yeah. the bonus point, um, if you like, is when you get an insight show as well. After right, dark, okay. maybe an after dark, is it like five? Dark. Or, well, mm, on air, we could do, yeah, I mean, there's options. Okay, good. Blue Peter right. badge in the making. Mm. We'll, we'll work that out, we'll work that out later. <laughs> Um, welcome to the show, everybody. So, um, Ruth, I'm going to start with you um, to ask you to give us a quick overview of Anthem as the company and then what you do there. And then we'll go around the table and um, find out what everybody else gets up to on a day-to-day basis. Great. Um, thank you so much for having us. Uh, Anthemis is a leading global fintech and insure tech investor committed to transforming financial services. Um, we invest from multiple pools of capital, so multiple investment vehicles, and we have been doing that since 2010. I've been with Anthemis for two years, and I uh, work uh, a lot on insure tech investing with the team. Brilliant. Matt, how about yourself? Do you want to give us an introduction to who you are, what you do, maybe a little bit of background? Yeah, so I uh, I joined Anthemis again just under uh, just under two years ago, um, also focused on insurance investments. And then prior to that, I was at the global reinsurance company Swiss Re for just under five years. And Sophie, how about yourself? So we've had, we kind of know a little bit about your background because you've been on here with several job titles, but do you want to <laughs> give us a quick run through and um, tell us about what you're up to now? Yeah, sure. So um, at the moment, uh, associate at Anthemus. So I joined, I think I've been here for six months now, which is... Feels like longer, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Contentious. Um, um, and yeah, previously I was um, head of partnerships at Innovate Finance, so uh, the um, UK membership um, industry body for UK fintech. And um, the thing I liked about about the role was, um, like, I, lo- I love fintech and it's been great to be in the ecosystem, but I feel like in tech it's at the cusp of, of being really interesting and you've got a lot of really cool innovative solutions coming up through the ranks and it felt like a really like cool time to be part of of investing in this ecosystem both in the UK and globally. Exciting well thank you all for joining us as I said 
Um, so let's sort of start off by asking you, what do you look for when you're investing? You know, what do you, first of all, you know, how do you go out there and find the comp- the insurtechs that you might want to invest in? And second of all, what's the criteria? I'm sure you're all going to have slightly different takes on this. I don't know if we want to go around the table. I don't know, did you want to start, Sophie, and then? Yeah, I, I can start. So um, f- from from our point of view, uh, let's start with kind of how we, we find insurtechs. So, I mean, firstly, I would say the breadth and number of companies out there at the moment is 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 huge which is really exciting but also can be quite overwhelming at times um you know there are there are various kind of databases and we do a lot of desktop research you know we may find an area that we we find particularly interesting we'll go down and we'll investigate that and find a load of companies doing that or it will be sort of inbounds anthemus um or it will be sort of of through through our network so um i mean these guys have fantastic networks through um the insurtech ecosystem um learning from other vcs connection through that so multiple sort of different ways but yeah there's 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 a lot out there at the moment yeah so i think we we there's no limit to how anyone can get in touch. And there's no, you know, the number of companies that we looked at over, over every 12 month period is not far off a thousand. So, you know, that's a lot of companies that we need to meet with, that we need to kind of evaluate and we, we take everyone as seriously as the, as the last. Um, and that number's growing. I mean, you know, you, every so often you see reports that get published that say, you know, the number of startups is decreasing and the number of investments is decreasing. Um, but actually, you know, at least from where we're sitting, the ecosystem, I don't think has ever been healthier, actually. And what about what do you actually kind of look like when you look like look for when you've sort of you've identified a company that you think is an interesting idea or, or playing in a different part of the space that perhaps you haven't seen before? What kind of criteria? I mean, it, I'm guessing everyone is different. What kind of criteria are you looking for? So we're early stage investors and we, uh, out of the particular investment vehicle that the three of us work on together, which is focused on InsurTech, um, we focus on seed and series A with a little bit of pre-seed mixed in. So those are quite early stage companies. We tend to have a pretty strong thesis, uh, and that is across sort of multiple verticals and adjacencies. Sometimes we're looking at specific horizontal technologies that we think are particularly relevant or transformative to the industry. Um, things like artificial intelligence, stuff like that. Sometimes it's a particular business line, which is, which feels especially inefficient and there's a, a big opportunity for disruption. Um, but early stage investing is, is very much, and this is pretty cliche. So I guess any, any investor would, would say the same thing, very much focused on the team, um, and the market opportunity. I, I, I couldn't agree more for the guys that we've seen. It's, I was trying to work out it, what's the knockout criteria. And is it, is it cool tech, but terrible team or terrible team or great team, but poor tech? And is there a mix between the two that you go, actually, we just, we just can't work with those individuals or how, how does that work? Are <laughs> there personality types that are preferable to work with? So I think I think that that solving that being an early stage investor means a, a certain level of commitment to solving problems together with a company, and it's a and Anthemis as a house is very hands on. We have a portfolio success and ecosystem team that we put at the disposal of all of our companies. Um, we're extremely engaged uh, and and I would say quite operational in the early stages. So I think that 
you know, there does have to be some chemistry with with companies, with both the teams and the problems that they're looking to solve, um, and which makes um, which which is which is a, a sort of. I guess, a subjective element to early stage investing, which is also what makes it fun and exciting. And we've we've, we've said the word team. I guess that means it rules out individuals who are looking to help build a team or can you help with that sort of stuff too? So I would say uh, that we do as a house have a facility for company building and to assist with company building uh, in the context of our, our foundry business. So we look to be approached by anyone who's looking to transform financial services. And, um, you know, we will look across um, sort of different different pools of capital to attempt to get involved with businesses where we think we can be impactful and appropriate investors. I mean, it's, you know, it's hard if you're a, sol- if you're a solo founder, that's, that's tough. We have solo founders in the portfolio. Um, but if you think about the skills that are really necessary to build, go and build an insurtech business, you've got to have a neat blend of insurance industry expertise. If you're really going to make inroads with the carriers, for example, um, and technology expertise, how many people do we know around this table that have got both of those skills in abundance. You generally speaking, you've always got to have someone else around the table that that can that can help you with and, that and stuff. And is that a good indicator of success? Because I've seen them, I've seen great technologies, but they're speaking a completely different language to carriers that just don't understand, you know, the the sequence of events inside an insurance organization. For- for sure. But then to make things worse, there are a load of insurance companies out there that don't know the sequence in their own companies, right? So that's also a challenge that these guys have to deal with. Um, I found that being on the being on the other side of the table and then coming to the investor side, you very quickly have a sense of who really understands what it takes to either engage with an insurance company for capacity or to sell to an insurance company. Um, and some of it can be learned, you know, through sitting down with someone more experienced and going through how you do it. And some of it is is learned at the goal face and having gone through that experience of either being on the buyer side and going through procurement um, or having sold into insurance companies before. But insurance companies are special, special animals. They really are. <laughs> it's kind of interesting to hear you say that, actually, because I've heard a, a different perspective from, from I, I suppose, somebody who might be considered one of your competitors, but they say that they look for either somebody who has a really good understanding of insurance and where the insurance sort of value chain is broken or where it can be improved, or somebody who's got a very good technology idea but doesn't know how to implement it. Um, and they say that they struggle either, either, I think, to find people who have both sets of expertise, as you just mentioned, or that it doesn't work when they get somebody who thinks they know both ends of the stick. And I, for me, that's just interesting to hear different perspectives about you know what you go out there and, and what you're looking for. I think it's the same perspective. I mean, I think what we're saying is the same thing, is that you know the deep tech expertise is essential. Having some knowledge and understanding about the industry is essential. I think, un- unfortunately, you know, slash fortunately, there are no rules um, with like with most complicated things in life. Um, so, you know, we can kind of statistically speaking, you know, the studies show that m- multiple founders outperform a single founder. Yep. Um, that's that's a bit meaningless when you're when you're meeting companies on an individual basis and assessing them on an individual basis. Mm-hmm. So, Nigel, do you want to ask that question you asked earlier, which about these guys? Which is your favourite startup? No, well, that one. But also, Not I was going to say we've just said that everybody's being very balanced here. But what do you fight most about? 
<laughs> when it when it comes to kind of like you know is there a does somebody have a particular you know passion for a certain area or, or is it just kind of like because it's quite subjective it's just there's always a lot of discussion well, well, let me let me add to it slightly then so so I, I work with a bunch of carriers that have defined themes because the ones that don't have the defined themes end up in scattergun yeah and they're just chasing everything and anything and there's no real clear you could you could argue it's chaos and it's it's perfect chaos the ones that seem to do better are the ones that go, we're focused on AI in underwriting or we're fixing core systems. Yep. So, so do you see that as well? or So I have a great example of this. So last week we had, um, there, was a, there was a collaboration opportunity that a startup came to us about. Um, and I shared it with the kind of point person for innovation at a well-known insurance company. And within a couple of hours, that person came back to me and, and said, this is not in scope. This is not in the focus areas that we, we've defined as being important for this year. Really sorry, but I know these people that could be interested. That was the dream response. To get a quick Perfect. no yep. is brilliant. And there are some, I think one of the things that we, one of the bits of value that we try to add as investors is we are developing, and obviously it changes over time, but we're developing a sense of who those people are, who are the great people to go and collaborate with, and who are the ones that you should avoid at all costs. I guess an interesting one is, do you find the innovation teams often the right places to go to get traction and answer or scale there afterwards? Because I think there's fundamentally two different things there, right? Uh, (laughs) Everybody looks at you, Sophie. Um, I mean, there is definitely a place for innovation departments. It's good to have people that are solely focused on, um, you know, the new opportunities people that get are in the business are, are very kind of bogged down by the day-to-day and and really need someone a champion to drag them out of their day business and say look this is actually going to be really exciting and really important for your business but the people who get the real kind of implementation and the job done are going to be the people in the business because they're the people that understand the problem and they're the people that can um you know hopefully see see the path of a solution so i i do think you need you need both from my mm. point of view yeah, I would agree. I think the innovation team is often a great place to start. But ultimately, if, if you're going to have long-term success for a partnership, then you need business buy-in. And you know, to be transparent, as part of our due diligence process, we always ask, where's the budget com- coming from for your partnership? Is it coming from the central innovation team and it's a one-off kind of, you know, you can sign it off? Or is it from the business? Because if it's from the business, that indicates real buy-in and kind of you know, long-term potential. But it's almost like they're bo- ideas and innovation may be born there, but doesn't necessarily live there long-term. And once they hit maturity, kick them out. Go and find the business owner to take them in, under their wing. Absolutely. And, but it's it's hard for the innovation teams, especially when they have some success. It's it's pretty brave for them to, it would be pretty brave for them to say, actually, you know what, guys, you we, we, we don't need to be here anymore. We don't need to be kind of intervening in it or, or translating. You guys, are, you should go ahead and, and, you know, kind of work with the business independently. Um you know, the whole, this current wave of insurtech began, what, five years ago? And I think only now are our insurance companies and also the, the other service providers getting to the point where they they kind of feel they're, they're mature enough to be able to let go of opportunities and also feel brave enough to say no to stuff when it's not in scope. So, so my question there would be, do you think, and this is sort of leveled, I think, uh, fintech um, as well as insurtech, do you think you're seeing kind of a, a maturation of the, the ecosystem, sort of people are dropping out now because people are, the bigger guys are either feeling better prepared to make those investments and know who their partner should be. And at the same time, the industry is becoming sort of too crowded for everybody to play in the same space. 
Yeah, I, I think that's definitely um, occurring. I mean, you, we've gone through that stage where companies have have maybe been burnt by a couple of, of things that didn't work out. They're a bit more wary. They're a bit less attracted by the shiny new thing in the room, um, and are and I've, I've seen stuff. You're also getting um, people from the industry now jumping up and seeing insurtech startups as being a viable career choice and so you're getting more mature talent actually coming through the startup ecosystem um it's a little bit different from fintech in in the way that you know fintech it's there are companies that are really sort of um competitors to to the banks so you've got sort of the monzos um and you're like whereas insurtech you've always got that that relationship with the insurer or or it's it's stronger so it's it's kind of um it's more of an evolving ecosystem around the carrier um, and the insurer as a whole. Do you, do you think we'll ever see a point where that changes? Because this is something I hear a lot is that we see an awful lot of distribution, um, disruption in distribution. Wow, that's a tongue twister at this point in the day. <laughs> disruption in distribution and a certain amount of disruption, um, sort of turning on the te- technology side, you know, in risk analysis and data analysis and, and all that kind of stuff. But actually in terms of full stack insurers, Arguably, we've yet to see one that is carrying it all out by itself. And I mean, largely that's to do with just the capital that's required behind it. Do you think we'll get to a point where we'll start to see, am I wrong? Do you disagree? Or do you think we'll get to a point when we start to see that if you think I'm right? So there are full stack uh, insurance disruptors and, and you know, quite successful ones at the moment. Um, although to your point, it's it feels it is capital intensive and it's, and it's difficult for um, you know, for investors to position themselves sometimes um, in that capital trajectory conversation. Who would you be an example of that? Just, just if as one. Interesting, because I've had many people <laughs> in this podcast who say lemonade are not a full stack disruptor because we really stay behind them. So I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. I just find it fascinating to hear these different perspectives. Well, um, there's definitely less of them than there are neobanks and the neo-insurers in terms of full stack. I think there, I, I would agree there's fewer of them. There's more people disrupting the known value chain. Mm. Um, it seems like Germany seems to be quite hot as well right now, if you look at the deals that were done just last week. So so we, we have seen them in Germany. We've seen them over in the US. I would love to sit down with the PRA and understand why we haven't seen them over here. We've had maybe, what, a dozen or so companies that have, or teams that have come to us and said, we're going to set up a full stack insurance company. And you, you have a great first meeting and, you know, good luck guys. And then three months later, they're all back in the Lloyd's market doing something, you know, doing something in innovation. So something's not working somewhere in, 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 or, or maybe it is working. And actually maybe the PRA is doing the, doing the job and keeping people away from setting up full stack. But I find it super interesting that we've got countries like Germany where people traditionally see as pretty traditional and, and quite conservative. And yet over here- Raising large amounts of money as well. Ra- raising a lot of money. Um, I mean, the interesting thing is we've had before conversations on this show, particularly with um, James York, who has this um, idea that he thinks the PRA is not as advanced as the FCA when it comes to thinking about um, rethinking licensing models. Um, so that's that's his perspective on it. And it's interesting that you you picked up on it there as well, that there's there's maybe a different mindset or a different team there or, or different, you know, just resourcing, mm. I imagine, is another big problem. Um, sorry, Ruth, I completely interrupted you. Did you want to finish that point before I was like, oh? Okay. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, I guess, I guess that one of the most exciting things about doing what we do is being wrong, and uh, and it happens a lot, and it is very humbling, and it also sort of, I think, goes to the the fact about technology, which is that 
the most exciting things are not the things that exist already. Um, and, and to your point about ecosystems, you know, part of ecosystems is things dying and things emerging, which don't bear a strong resemblance to the things that came before them. And so I do think that we, the ecosystem is more developed and we're seeing a lot of new things, but, you know, one of the things, one of the reasons it's tough to ask, answer questions about what we're looking for is because we don't know. And we have some assumptions, which, um, are always most exciting when, when we are like, wow, I totally never thought I would do the, a deal like this. And I'm so excited about it. I, I often hear boring is beautiful. And it's kind of in the insurance world, it's kind of makes <laughs> sense. And the more I've got into it, the more I go, I get it. It doesn't always, to your point about shiny, you don't always have to chase shiny stuff for it to be cool. Um, the boring stuff often just gets scale, whether it's underwriting or uh, better performance in, in different areas. You, you mentioned favorite as well. So what, what's your favorite area to look at or favorite thing that you found so far? Oh man, because you uh, wanted to, you you had an idea about this earlier. You want to talk about mobility? Yeah. So um, one so one part of our um, investment thesis is around the future of mobility and how that will impact insurance. So both via kind of autonomous vehicles, um, but also the kind of continuing move to to shared mobility. Um, and you know how at the moment insurers a lot of you know a huge part of the market is is motor premiums and that it likely will will disappear over time. Um, but this this new ecosystem is emerging around autonomous vehicle and and shared mobility, which is is really interesting. It's got a lot of different parts. You know that there, there seems like companies just appear overnight and are worth a billion dollars. Um, and, you know, the, the, the autonomous stack is really interesting because there's all these different components. It's kind of evolving about, you know, what's going to be important, what's going to be not. Um, so I, there's just a, there's a lot of cool stuff there. And it's it's so much more relevant to insurance than I think people think straight away. I think there's also people sort of forget that mobility isn't just self-driving cars. Mm -hmm. There's sort of huge implications for uh, transport, for logistics, for even if you're looking at things like, you know, bicycles and scooter riders and electric scooters, which is sort of technically illegal in the UK, but they've got huge insurance premiums in the US. And I think it's just the scope. Um, and again, that's I suppose that you don't really know what you're looking for till you see it. I'd, I'd never have dreamed that I was about to be nearly run over by three electric scooters on my way to work this morning, ridden by grown in men. In London. But who knew? Yes. No, we should stop it there. <laughs> so so, so do, do Anthemus have a view of when the autonomous future will be here? Are we talking three years? Are we talking 10 years? What's your perspective? I think that the, I think it's safe to say that Anthemus is is a place where there are views and contrarian views and and much debate. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a no. Okay. <laughs> but what, okay. What about other other trends? Does anybody else have a particular sort of favorite area or, or or a prediction? So, all right. So, on the subject of boring is boring is beautiful. So, um, you know, I when if you go for dinner with friends and you talk about what you do at work you know Nigel I imagine you find it relatively easy to say you know, what it is that you do and then when I say well actually we find interesting companies and we we invest in them and we work with them we help them grow and then they say okay well, what kind of companies and and so one of the one of the things that I really find fascinating is is core systems yes um, which, you know, and if I try to explain this to one of my friends, they think I'm, I'm one of the most boring people in the world, which I wouldn't necessarily argue with. Um, <laughs> but, you know, in, insurance core systems, if you go back, if you look at, for example, 
so many insurance companies, whether listed or privately held, private equity owned, or, or you know, whatever, um, many of them are running on core systems that are, you know, almost as old as me. And in many cases, some of the best paid people in insurance are those that put these systems in place 30 years ago, and they're the only ones that are left that know how uh, how to keep them running. And so they're kept together with sticky tape. Um, I think there's an enormous opportunity to refresh these systems. Part of the problem is that a lot of us have been predicting that these systems have got to be ripped out in the next few years for a number of years, and they're still there. They're still hanging on um, for dear life. I, I think there's an enormous opportunity to make these systems more efficient. If you think about how they work right now, they're often augmented with paper. Um, they, you know, they have to be updated over the weekend, and you know, all sorts of stuff. Like it, but, they, but, they just definitely need of mobility can't come true unless you get your exciting core system thing right. Absolutely. But what is the core system of the future? So if you think about, you know, if you envision a world where you've got insurance companies that only take the risk, what is the system that they need in place versus, for example, an MGA that is really able to actually take that new ADAS-related data, for example, and figure out what the true risk is of an autonomous vehicle? Um, that landscape, that systems landscape is yet to emerge, in my, in, at least as far as I can tell. It needs to, some time to kind of become a bit clearer. Um, so there's a lot of the big insurers I speak to have they, they 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 want to they just don't know how so they look at all the shiny exciting stuff yeah. as we said they're like well we can't there's no point in us doing that yet because we've still got this knot back here to fix and and I don't think it would be unfair to say that a lot of the large insurers are sort of five ten years behind the large banks and thinking we need to sort this core system situation out um the the, the vast re the, the reliance on paper and insurers still scares the life out of me because they're like no we can't pull that product to your online portfolio because it only exists in a file that's locked in a fire safe somewhere in norwich or something and i'm just like <laughs> for goodness sake i'm now terrified um yeah i was gonna, like it's kind of mad that i haven't changed the way that i bought insurance since i've started buying insurance and and like you're really not seeing it impact the end customer at all. So yeah. let me ask a different question for all four, five of us around the table. Do you love your insurance company? I love the one I use. I I, I like I like Cover. I use Cover to insure because it's so easy, it's so quick, and it gives me a service Shout I can't out get to Freddie. Else. Okay, I've done that before though, and that's <laughs> and that's not um, not new. Sophie, information. do you love your insurance company? Um, no. <laughs> so, that? I, I, but that's my point. I mean, I, I asked a room full of people earlier, and if you ask the question, do you love your insurance company? The answer you get back is usually, no, I don't really like my insurance yeah. company. I don't really care about it, if I'm being really honest, apart from that once a year, that will take me three minutes to buy my policy. Yeah. Do, my, do I love my bank? It's the, it's the price. It's the race, the bottom one price that we're still in with insurance. And this is from a consumer perspective. I've not, you know, I, I do understand that I'm, I'm looking at it from like, as somebody who goes and buys insurance, but nine times out of 10, um, with cover, it probably is slightly more expensive than me trying to like insure a car or buy a different sort of policy, but it does what I want when I want it to do it. And it's really easy. Whereas when I'm buying travel insurance, because I'm lucky enough not to have any particularly special needs or go to any particularly exotic, I do just do the thing where I'm like, tick, 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 tick. That's the cheapest one go. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a very important observation because you know things are changing a lot and one of the one of the things that we believe um, is in this idea of kind of embedded finance and so you know will the question do you love your insurance company really be relevant when actually you've been you've been covered against risks that you're taking in a very 
automatic way and a context relevant way where, you know, you're not really necessarily thinking about it or conscious of the fact that you have this coverage. I mean, I think one of the most exciting things that that we're seeing or, or all of the excited, exciting things that we're seeing are things where there is inter- insurance at the intersection of something else. And so the mobility topic is really interesting. Um, you know, there are, you know, we look in at ag tech, um, we look at trade finance, you know, we really look very, very broadly. And so insurance is relevant to everything that we do and risk is everywhere. And so to the extent that that's true, um, the, our definition of insure tech is very, very broad. Because you interviewed the guys from Cover Genius a while back, right? Who integrate at the, at the commerce level, not the consumer level. So it's embedded and invisible. Yeah, and and I've also we've spoken to people who provide the um, the new um, mobility subscription services. So it's more common in the states, I think, than they are here. But very much a case of like you pay a monthly subscription for your car, and that includes the insurance, the MOT, the valet service, the whatever else it is you might need. And and I think I, mean, I guess that kind of brings us on a little bit to to business models. So how much do we think of you know what's exciting in insure tech is tech, and how much of what we think is exciting in in insure tech is new insurance business models. Rogue question. Wasn't meant to trip you up. Sorry. No, not at all. Um, I think I think that I think it's both. I think that you know I, I think tech in and of itself isn't super interesting. Um, I mean, I find it interesting intellectually, but clearly uh, there you know we're looking at hacks up and down the kind of value stack, and so of course we're interested in business models, and of course we're interested in tech, and we're interested in user experience and we're interested in new markets and we're interested in new data. And I think that the portfolio of companies that we've built um, definitely reflects that, you know, in the core system space, companies like Omnius and Intradata and Zappix, um, com- uh, an investment that we just recently announced in a company called Stable, which is um, providing a really interesting brand new insurance product uh, for farmers around the globe. Um, you know, we, we work in the construction space with a company called Onsite IQ. Um, and so, you know, it's sort of a, a combination of uh, systems and tech and, you know, uh, uh, markets that haven't been addressed before. It, it's the perfect storm. It's what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it really is. And, you know, as I said earlier on, I think, you know, we first started thinking about this wave back in 2014 um, and even now we're still finding brand new kind of business lines or, or um, uh, technologies that are, you know, brand new, brand new ideas. I'd love to meet entrepreneurs that come to us with something that we've never thought of before. I'm allowed to mention Lacquer for once. I like to give an answer and Sarah rolls her eyes all the time, but they're an anthemous group, right? Or anthemous uh, insurtech, if I'm correct. And the business model there fascinates me because I think it's truly different to anything else that's out there. Will it work? Probably the wrong answer, wrong question, but will it? Will we educate consumers in a different way to accept things that they haven't always done, i.e. race to zero, tick, 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 buy, to actually there's a new model and it's better for you in the long run? So Toby was um, part of something that we trialed a few years ago called the Anthemis Fellowship, which was an opportunity to bring together a few entrepreneurs into the Anthemis ecosystem and give them a a space where they can kind of experiment with some brand new ideas. Um, 
I really like what Toby's doing at, at, at Lacquer, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for the progress that he's made over the, the period of time that he's been working on that business. I really am a big fan of the, um, the community that he's building around, yeah, yeah. around cyclists. And I think that's a, that's, that's indicative of the way that I think people are going to be thinking about their insurance. Like, is it relevant to me and the community that I belong to? Um, to the question of whether it will work, I can't wait to find out. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I think, you know, I saw Toby a few weeks ago and we were talking about all the other different kind of products that you could begin to insure in with this kind of system and with this kind of thinking. And it's a long list. Um, but whether, whether customers feel, you know, empowered enough or informed enough to be bold and, and get a policy from those guys over, you know, bolting it onto my traditional home insurance policy from the post office. We'll see. Well, it, it, it's the value it provides over and above what you can do already, right? So if, you know, being part of that cyclist community, of which Nigel is a very proud member, <laughs> <laughs> hence the mention of that. Thank God Lycra stretches is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Stop over there. Thank but you. I think that. That, but there are markets and communities that we're really focused on. We're very focused on SME, I think. Every investor that I talk to is very focused on SME. We have a company we're really excited about in the portfolio called Hokoto, which is providing a single invoice credit risk insurance yeah. to SMEs and doing it with a really um, excellent and unique uh, credit score mechanism, which they have developed in-house. Um, so, you know, there are these pockets of very obvious underserved markets, which are very, very yeah. interesting for us. Then, I think, so Richard, Richard and the team there, though, they've found, so SME, I mean, I don't go to a conversation where SME is not mentioned. I mean, so like, like the, the word of the day, SME, and it has been for like <laughs> months. Um, but people like Richard and the team over at Hakodo are great at fixing a particular piece of the overall puzzle. I guess it goes back to the overall, is someone going to come out with an SME platform and solve it all? Or is someone just going to orchestrate all the bits into a... Yeah, Hokoto is. Great <laughs> <laughs> answer. All right. So I'm, I'm going to like just move us along here because what I want is predictions out of people. Um, I want to ask the really difficult questions. What does InsureTech look like in the next... I'm going to be nice to you today and I'm going to say the next like one to five years. Because like some people are like, I want to do five years and some people are like, I want to do like next week. So what's the, what's the next big thing... I think what, one of the, the things I hope happens in the next one to five years is, is the, this idea of um, an insurer being more of a proactive um, sort of role in people's lives. So Encouraging not, that love. Yeah, exactly. I'm not just there when things go wrong. I'm there, um, you know, helping you out and actually sort of reducing that risk rather than just being there when it goes wrong. Um, I think there's some really interesting stuff going on in the health um, sector at the moment whereas you know you know we'll, we'll give you a wearable we'll encourage you to exercise we'll um you know help you get your dna tested so you're more aware of what your issues are um so i think that's uh, um you know a, a thing that I'd, I'd hope to see in the and, and in the home space as well i think we see exactly. quite a lot of that yeah would you give your dna to your insurer um isn't that a question? For, I think it might be a question for another time. It's back to tri um, trust and privacy and all those things. I, I mean, I absolutely would, right? I think, yeah. I mean, I guess I would, but they're not. I mean, it's, it kind of is illegal to to use that data Today, at the moment. Yes. So, yeah. but yeah, I guess that's not the question. But, it's, but is it illegal or is it oh. an, a, a kind of agreement that sorry, we it's won't? Not, it's not, not legal. legal to, sorry, it's considered unethical. Unethical. I think. Okay. 
but but okay so maybe maybe the future is that you know perceptions around ethics and changes and that you know affects mm. risk under you know underwriting risk appetites yeah anybody else got any predictions for me so i think I'm looking at the burning platforms and where there are real issues. So core systems is one that we talked about. It feels like at some point we're going to see either one of these big systems fall over or they're going to be exposed as being vulnerable to attack. Um, and I think that could cause um, insurance companies or to, to really kind of sit up and take notice. And then I think, you know, if you look at elsewhere around the insurance industry, look at Lloyd's of London. There are a series of issues there that have to be resolved around um, capital efficiency, around distribution and acquisition costs. Um, there's an enormous opportunity for tech to play a role in addressing those questions. Um, you know, and then I think we're going to see this, as Ruth mentioned earlier on, we're going to see you know, more of a shift towards kind of embedded insurance, invisible insurance that we don't really have to think about. Did you want to, to add anything to that, Ruth, or if your team summed up your thoughts succinctly? The team is always great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what, what I will ask you is, um, you know, what, what's next for Anthemus? Is what next for you guys? Is there anything that you were desperate to mention today that I haven't touched on or I haven't given you a chance to mention? Well, we're still uh, very much deploying capital into the insure tech space. So we're always excited to talk to entrepreneurs. Um, and I think, you know, we will continue investing. The, the house is growing and uh, lots of new projects and sort of new ideas on the horizon. Uh, so, um, yeah, I think more of the same plus. Watch this space. Watch this space. Brilliant. Well, thank you all so much for joining me. Um, where can people find out more about each of you? Do you have individual Twitter handles, LinkedIn? Uh, do you want to, want to give the company website three times around? It's, uh, <laughs> do you want to go first, Matt? So I feel like if we don't mention the company website, someone back in the office is going to tell us off. So if <laughs> or just Ruth, to be fair. Or, 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 or Ruth, yeah. So the, if you would like to get in touch with Anthemis, you can go to the Anthemis website at www.anthemis.com and you can see the pitch uh, email address at the bottom of the page. Um, we read our emails 24-7, so if you get in touch, you might get a reply at a weird hour of the day. Um, <laughs> and then my uh, Twitter handle is at thisismattj. So if you would like to talk about core systems, then tweet yes. me. I think, surprisingly enough, you will find a lot of takers for that offer. So yeah, um, I, know. <laughs> I hope you don't get too inundated. Um, Ruth, how about you? Any contact details you'd like to share? Sure. I am at Fox News. That's Fox with an E underscore news. <laughs> Still one of the best Twitter handles anybody's ever given well, on this thank show. You. <laughs> um, Sophie, how about you? I'm just at Sophie Winwood, which is quite boring now, but yeah. No, no, because you've got a unique name, you see. Yeah, it's so. like original. You know? Yeah, it's totally fine. You got in there earlier, is what it says. How about you, Nigel? As always, at Nigel Walsh and core systems still rock. <laughs> <laughs> And on that I'm going to try and get that to the later, <laughs> okay. okay. I don't fancy our chances of getting that trending, I've got to say. <laughs> I, if anybody can, I'm sure it's you too. So um, keep an eye out for that on Twitter, folks. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Sarah Kachansky. Um, that wraps up this anthemous takeover of InsureTech Insider. Thank you so much to our lovely guests, to Ruth, to Matthew, and to Sophie. Um, as always, you can find the show on Twitter at InsureTech Insiders. Please tweet us about call systems, apparently. Um, and if you like what you've heard this week, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and please, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you have any suggestions or feedback, please reach out on Twitter or email podcasts at 11fs.com. 